You're listening to the Behind the Tee podcast hosted by your favorite club curlers, Rob and Kelly. The show where we share our thoughts on what's happening in the curling world with the internet. But let's be real, we end up talking about football half the time anyways. So we're back on our regular recording schedule and the Olympics have officially come to a close as of yesterday. I watched a total of like 10% of it. (laughs) Well, that's better than the uh, 0% that you put in for the Summer Olympics last year. That's true. That's true. (laughs) There's no curling then, so... I know. I feel um, I'm kind of sad that it's over. I have to admit, um, my whole life, I've been like a really big Olympic junkie. I don't know about you. No, I got really into the Olympics every year, even like at work. We'd have them on at the TV, like on the TV uh, in the lunchroom and at home. We'd always watch it. I don't know if it's just people just don't care about the Olympics anymore, especially given the state of the world, or if it's really a time zone thing. I have a few theories um, because I feel the same, like I'm going to call it Olympic apathy that you feel. Mm -hmm. Um, And just to like go back to my childhood here, like when I was a little kid, I adored the Olympics. I thought it was the coolest thing. Also, I mean, I grew up without cable back in those days. So like my whatever I could watch on TV was very limited. So as a sports fan to have wall to wall sports for two weeks, that was like more than my what eight year old brain could handle. Um, And of course, it's a very different world today, you can access anything you want at any time. So I guess having that very prestigious event that only comes around so often has lost its luster. I think that's one problem with it, why maybe some people are just not into it as much. Because it's on demand? Yeah, yeah, just like it's the same thing with, um, oh, you're, you're going to so make fun of me here. But like when it comes to TV and you know how I live like way behind the times. Oh, you still got cable. I know. I know. It's a weekly gag with us. But when you think about it, like when we were kids, um, you couldn't look up whatever you wanted whenever you wanted. Now you can. And if you're bored in 10 seconds, forget it. You can move on to something else. Oh, the amount of family fights there were over the remote. And I want to watch this. And it's a season premiere of this. uh, But they play at the same time. And presumably, we spent a lot of our childhood in blockbuster video. (laughs) I see your point. I don't know if it has that much of an effect. Because I agree. Like, I'm also fully on the Netflix streaming service bandwagon. Like if it's not on Crave or Netflix, I'm not going to watch it. But when it comes to sports, I do like to watch my sports live. So even if it were on demand and I can watch it later, I'm not going to just like I have not in the past two Olympics. So I wonder if it's really a time zone thing because it being in uh, in China and we're in North America, we're only able to watch like the evening, like at least for the curling, it was an 8 p.m. draw or you'd catch the end of like the morning. So everything happened. Right. That 1 a.m. draw was a little bit hard to. Uh... Exactly. And I'm not that diehard of a fan to watch snowboarding at 1 a.m. Neither am I. But the vast majority of my life, all these Olympics have happened on the other side of the world. And so when I look back on it, very few sports that I watched were live during the Olympics, but you could get away with that in 1998 or 2000 or whatever I'm talking about, because you didn't wake up to your phone telling you, here's all the medals we won overnight. I didn't even, I didn't even recognize whether it was live or not when I was a kid. But I don't think there were that many Olympics in the Asian countries back then. Like a lot of it were either Europe or in North America. So if anything, you'd get like, there'd be a delay, but not uh, a 12 hour one. 
Oh, but still, like I didn't even pay attention to oh, whether okay. it was live or not. It was. Uh, you just watch whatever was on CBC. <laughs> if if it was something on, I would watch it, and right, uh, right. I would I get super into it. And the funny thing is, I just want to like tell a personal story here because um, I've mentioned before, probably like my day job. We're not podcasters uh, full time yet. <laughs> By day, I'm a teacher. And one of the funny things that happened to me is a couple of Winter Olympics ago, um, so this would have been the Sochi Olympics. I was student teaching at the time, in, so back in 2014. And it was right in the middle of the like very pivotal hockey game. And if you're a student teacher, you have to get evaluated by somebody from the university and somebody from the school that you're working in. And there I am trying to go about my lesson. I'm very nervous. Like this my whole career hinges on how well I do here. And all of a sudden, I like the kids are watching this hockey game on their phones, which are hidden in their laps. Right. And I'm going, or oh, hidden. Boy. <laughs> hidden yeah, in air quotes. And um, I'm in the middle of this. And of course, Canada scores a goal and the whole class goes, yeah. <laughs> it's like, wow, you must be really excited for my lesson here today. Smooth recovery. I know. Um, everybody laughed. And to be honest, I think the person evaluating me was more interested in the hockey game, too. So goes to show what living in Canada is like. But I remember those Olympics. Everybody that I was working with in that school was talking about the Olympics and asking questions. I didn't tell them that I was a curler, but uh, there was a lot of discussion about Jennifer Jones and Brad Jacobs. And then four years ago in Pyeongchang, um, now I was working in an actual school and there was um, a lot of discussion there as well. People were really into it. And mm -hmm. so a couple of weeks ago with the Olympics coming, our school that I work at now had an Olympic day and it was hey, kids, dress in Team Canada colors. And of course, I wore a Team Canada shirt and I walked in and was like, all right, who's excited? And I could hear the crickets chirping. Oh. It was, no one seemed to care. And I'm just wondering if it's a generational thing, if uh, maybe the younger people, because the other people I've spoken to notice this as well. Perhaps a generational thing could be part of the reason because you know those gen z kids they love <laughs> you know everything to be instant and quick um but i also think it just it hasn't been pushed in the media up until when the actual olympics happened uh, everything that was in the news was like is it gonna happen should it happen it like it wasn't hyping us up it was if anything negative right all the media around it was a little negative so that is kind of a turnoff and it just didn't get everyone excited yeah and i don't remember it being like this for the last winter no. olympics four years ago but mind you the world has changed a lot since 2018 yeah and perhaps uh i don't know something that's happened in the last four years can't quite put my finger on it but we're not a political podcast but even this past month has been quite um a wild ride in in the media and the yeah news. testing your faith in humanity <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i don't know yeah i think it's i think it's just a little mix of everything lack of marketing uh other priorities in the news people just don't care i don't know yeah. I mean, also the the Winter Olympics usually aren't as big as the summer ones. Like I find the Summer Olympics, there's a lot more um, excitement around it just because there's a lot more sports um, and it's bigger than the winter one. Yeah. And also Canada didn't do that great in any sport. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't actually think that's true, though. Like we have really? fewer golds than usually, but like a medal total, we're about the same as where we always are. Okay. If you take like the big sports, right? Like curling... Let's face it, we didn't perform as well as we normally do. Figure skating, we don't have any. That's another big sport in Canada. We didn't have any like star skater, um, Tessa and what's his name? Scott Moyer. 
Scott Moore, they retired and there's like just there's no replacement. So no one cares about figure skating. Hockey, the other big thing. Well, that well, okay, I heard some stuff in the news, but those are like kind of like the three big sports in Canada. And we just didn't have much like around that. Like, yeah, there's still skiing and stuff, but like they're the minor sports compared to the figure skating and the hockey and all that. Because I remember when Scott Moyer and Tessa, like they, you knew that they were, they were in the Olympics. Yeah, like occasionally there's like a real big name in whatever yeah. sport. Um, I remember like when we were kids, uh, one of the other big names that just randomly comes to mind here is Alex Dipatsi when he was diving. Like, oh, right. I didn't yeah. know anything about diving, but that was one of those, okay, everybody stops what they're doing and watches this kind of moment. Or exactly. with the... Uh, I nearly said Neil deGrasse Tyson with Andre deGrasse <laughs> at the Summer Olympics and yeah. uh, with the women's soccer team. Um, and an uh, interesting argument here, like once again, we've mentioned zero curling, uh, <laughs> but um, with hockey, because a lot of people I know watch hockey. I was about to say watch hockey only for the Olympics. That's backwards. They watch the Olympics only for hockey, particularly when the NHL players go. And it's now been two Olympics in a row that uh, the NHL has not sent its players this time because of COVID concerns. The last time just out of pure greed and not willing to lose revenue. But I think I'm on the outside here, but I kind of like it this way without the NHL players. I agree. I think you have to make a difference between a professional athlete and an amateur athlete. Like to me, the Olympics were always, it was an amateur event. Right. And a lot of NHL players were pissed that they couldn't get to play. And so I, I give them that. But it's hard for me to have sympathy for people that make $10 million a year. Yeah. And so I'm like, you've got a big stack of money to cry on. Like those baseball players that are on strike. Which I'm also, I'm the one who's crying about that. <laughs> uh, but yeah. And the funny thing is that I, the only event that I really made a point to stay up and watch live was the women's gold medal game in hockey because that Canada-US game, we always know it's going to be Canada versus the US, is always intense. It's always very yeah. tight. It's always exciting. So I, I did on Wednesday night stay up much later than I should have. And when people commented the next day at work that I look exhaust, that I looked exhausted, I mentioned, oh yeah, well, I stayed up for the hockey game. And before they even could finish my sentence and explain that we had won, they said, oh, I don't watch. It's no Olympic players. I was like, I'm not even talking about the men. It was the women's. <laughs> but a lot of people just immediately dismissed it because it didn't have the NHL players. And I'm with you. I prefer it this way. Yeah. But then at the same time, I think and I guess this comes back to my previous point, like there was no one to root for. Like, yeah, you want to root for Canada, but people like to have like an athlete. You need those like star athletes marketed in a way to be like, hey, Canada, get behind these people, not just. I suppose. Yeah. But if you have that one athlete that you kind of know a little bit about, because you we watch these sports without knowing really what goes into these sports so you're just kind of like watching a bunch of people play but if you kind of have a little fandom going it entices people to watch a little more just like in professional sports right you have like your star players that are marketed and that's what brings the crowd in yeah i never thought of that but i i agree we kind of that missed that it. this year yeah i find and i'll just one more thing i did read an article today that i wanted to agree with but i didn't and it was saying that it referred to the these as the Olympics that never should have happened. And what the article was critical of was uh, of the games being awarded to Beijing in the first place, given uh, not to get too political here, but human rights records in China mm -hmm. and uh, many other things that I don't want to talk about right now. And that was a very good point. However, the article used that as an argument as to why people were not tuning in. 
And I wish that people uh, were enough champions of social justice to make that kind of decision. But who are we kidding? I don't think that oh, crosses no. the slightest anybody's mind for a sports fan. And as much as I'd love to boycott things that I don't agree with, the power of the Olympics is it's got its hold on me. They could do the most evil thing ever. It's like the World Cup in Qatar yeah. is a corrupt disaster of we we could do a three hour podcast about how insane that decision was. But we're both going to be watching it, especially yeah. now that it looks like Canada's going to be there. This argument is not new. It comes up every Olympics, um, whether it's human rights violation or just excessive spending and all this jazz. Like we've heard it. Nothing's changed and nothing will change. But yeah, you kind of have that dilemma. And same thing with the, with the World Cup. It's like it never should have been or it should not be in Qatar in the first place. But then at the end of the day, too, with the Olympics, you know, you have a whole bunch of athletes who've dedicated their lives to train and compete and they should be punished because a, a boardroom decided to put it in a not so good place. Right. It, that's the the hard part. That's it. And I don't really ag I don't agree with punishing the athletes. But um, in that regard, blame lies with the IOC and yeah. uh, with uh, FIFA for um for soccer in that they I, there's no morals there they'll just take money from wherever right. they can get it we're gonna get very controversial here but it doesn't matter i'll still watch yeah but the hard thing too with the olympics especially now because it's so expensive and um we've seen in past olympic uh that a lot of the venues just end up sitting rotten not used and anyways there's a whole slew of things um so a lot of cities don't even want to host them anymore i know it used to be so prestigious and now it's like can we find a city to host it yeah i don't know which olympic it's gonna be but one of them is gonna be in kazakhstan or something like i don't even I know i haven't looked that far down the road Anyways, one of the future Olympics, they essentially won it by default. Yeah. So then you can't really complain because they're the only one who wanted to host. No, that's true. Like when they step up, uh, it's uh, yeah. you got to give it to somebody. It's, <laughs> hey, I can finally make a curling connection. It's like we used to complain when the provincials were in uh, Rouyn-Noranda or Baie-Como, which if you're not from Quebec are like 10, 12 hours away from where we live. But they're the ones who put in the bid. So <laughs> we got a road trip there. All right, so let's uh, segue into the curlers who actually won medals. Yeah, um, because I have to say, <laughs> uh, I think we chatted about this during the week. I remember on a podcast last year, we discussed the, um, I don't want to use the word demise. It sounds, uh, it's got a heavy connotation, but I will. The demise of Eve Muirhead. Or I think we could use the word downfall. That sounds even harsher to me. <laughs> yeah. So, Kelly, what do you have to say about that? Because <laughs> if ever it was you. Can, can we at least tell the world that she won the gold? Yes. Congratulations. Yes. Uh, against Japan. So Japan won the silver medal. And then in third, we have Sweden who beat out Switzerland. So, yeah, if you were to ask me at the start of this tournament, if Muirhead was going to win a gold, I would not have put money on that or believed you. Okay. Interesting. Is that because uh, you listen to Ben Hebert uh, criticize people doing both the mixed doubles and the uh, and the the regular curling? Yeah, no, but I th I think um, you know Muirhead has not had a stellar four years. Let's give her that. I think she's had a different team every one of those four years, and yeah, I think it's a they just 
peaked at the right time and they were the team to win. Now, would I be comfortable in saying that this is the return of Muirhead's dominance in women's curling? Absolutely not. I'm going to reserve that to next year and (laughs) see what happens. I think that's a very fair point. Um, It's very interesting how we talk about like uh, the dominant teams and how at one time we felt Eve Muirhead would enter that upper echelon and she did, but I agree with you. Like she kind of stepped back from it, not to say that this was impossible or a huge, huge, huge surprise because it isn't, but I think it's now several Olympics in a row where I'm going to say like there's been a surprising winner. This year it was Eve Muirhead. Last year, uh, or last year, last Olympics, it was John Schuster. Yep. Um, And the Olympics before that, um, I'm going to say Brad Jacobs is a bit of a surprise because, I mean, back then anybody coming out of Canada was strong. But the interesting thing is there's so much put into the whole quadrennial talk of four-year teams. And so that quadrennial for Sochi would have began in 2010. I don't think anybody had heard of Brad Jacobs in 2010. They were very strong in the second half of that four-year cycle. So it was still a bit of a surprise. Um, And of course, John Schuster and now... It just goes to show these four years really don't mean very much. All you have to do is qualify and try to peak in February of 20 whatever. The whole four years, no, but definitely the last two. And what happened the last two, there was essentially no curling. So I think that may have had an effect as well. I mean, we can speculate all day, but the point you brought up with Brad Jacobs in 2010, would we have expected them to win a medal at the Olympics? no. But that year before, the two years before, yeah, it would have been a possibility. Like they really. They, yeah, they really upped their game at the right time. Oh, I was just going to say, they were one of the better teams in Canada, if not the world. Oh, at absolutely. That point. Yeah. It's just the, the interesting thing is, is that you don't need to make so much out of the four year cycle. Really, what they proved is it's just uh, the last two. And Eve as well this year. I mean, like she won the Europeans, right? She picked a good year to have everything go right for her. And, uh, Good for them. It's uh, it just goes to show though that like the whole four year cycle, I don't think you have to be that great for all of it. It's kind of surprising to me. Like, I mean, no, it isn't a surprise that Nicholas Adine won gold. What is surprising to me is that it's his first gold. He's got a whole collection now. I think like he is one of each, does he? Yeah, he does. But I don't even think the players are expecting a stellar performance in all four years. Like they, we know that at the end of this year, there's going to be a massive reshuffle. Um, and then the first two years are just what we call, I'm going to use a project management thing. <laughs> <laughs> We've already talked about my work. I want to talk about yours now. <laughs> you know, we have like the stages of a team performance. So at first, like you have a forming. So the team's just like getting together. That's the four year, first year. Then you have storming, which is when things go bad because everyone's done being polite to each other. So that's your second year. And that's when we see some last minute changes in that second year. Then your third year, you're norming, which means that everything is going good. And then at the end, you're like performing. I was looking for something that rhymed. <laughs> and, and then that fourth year, that's when you peak. So you have to, your team starts okay, then it dips and then it goes back up. And if it doesn't go back up, then get a new team. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. And if you can survive that storming period, which a lot of people don't. No. um, And there could be reasons why you're storming. I mean, maybe it's just incompatible people or you're just trying to figure out your communication styles. Very good. So that's it. But I'm also quite surprised to see Japan with a silver medal. Um, They're a team that have like had success in the past and then they kind of disappear for a while and then they come back and then they disappear again so that's great and then sweden and switzerland i think that is not a surprise i mean they're also two very good team 
But did you see, and I think I texted our group chat, but I only watched the Skips Rocks of the last end of the um, Muirhead Sweden game. So this was the semifinal. I am so mad about this. The score was 11. 11 all in an extra end. Yeah, 11-11 to go into the extra end. But Sweden took three points to go into that extra end. I know. And I was so mad because I wish I had seen that game from from the start. Think of how many 10 end games we've watched in our lives where we've both like fallen asleep or been like, ugh, we know who's going to win this right away. Yeah. And I'm sad that I missed that one. The worst part is... um. Uh, so on Friday, we had, a, we had a huge snowstorm here in Montreal. So I couldn't go to work. I got the day off. But the first thing I did was I turned off my phone and I went back to bed. Because whenever we have days off, I get like several messages being, hey, did you know you have today off? I'm like, yes, thank you. Let me go back to sleep. And so I missed the whole game. Or I woke up just in time to see the last shot of the extra end where I looked up at the score and I was 11-11. And ironically, it was a miss. So in that 10th end... Murad was setting up great, you know, and Hasselbord had to make all her shots to get the three points. But all Murad had to do was put a guard anywhere on that line uh, to prevent Hasselbord from hitting and doing like a bump, 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 bump to get her three. And she didn't curl enough. She took like way too much ice. I don't know what, uh, I mean, I can't really judge on the ice because I hadn't watch the whole game but she completely missed it the port was wide open and then Hasselberg oh, no. essentially just had to do the same shot with just a little more weight took her three to go into the extra end and then the extra end was just a very standard like clean to the side right you know, like, like it's the part that I saw which was like the probably the least exciting part of that game yeah the only way Hasselberg was gonna win is if Muirhead missed a shot like it was right and that's how it goes with extra ends which actually we should talk about Canada in the their semifinal against Nicholas Adine because um, this is not easy. I have not seen a lot of curling here. I have to be honest with you. But so I'm going by just what people have told me. I still have not seen this shot, but that Brad Gushu tried a pretty um, challenging, high degree of difficulty shot for the win in his semifinal, which was probably not going to happen. But maybe there was, but there was a higher probability of tying it. Did he have a, another option? I haven't watched this either. Oh, I was hoping that, that you were going to take <laughs> over and be like, no. oh, I know exactly what to say. No, I kind of saw it, but I did. I saw the headline, I, but I didn't uh, click on it because I was distracted by other things. But was it his only option? I don't know. I can't call it. We've really done well this week, have we? This is a totally a random tangent. But remember back in the day when Kevin Martin was still competing and mm-hmm. was the best curler on the circuit by a mile? And there's this catchphrase that kind of formed out of this whenever someone tried to do like a really fancy shot, like an in-off raise takeout or something. And it's like, what, you think you're Kevin Martin or something? Because y'all know Kevin Martin would make that shot, but yes. like no one else could. So it just made me think of that. I was going to say, did he think he was Kevin Martin in the Olympics? <laughs> I know. Quick side note. Also, uh, we returned to curling this week after our Omicron shutdown, although you weren't able to play. So you're still on like a two month hiatus or something. Yeah. Right. And um, and we have a bye this week. So <laughs> your time off will go even longer. But I was talking to another guy uh, at our curling club who usually wins all of his games like he's very good. And uh, I look over and he, I see that he's down five nothing. <laughs> and I just kind of make this look at him um, like, uh, that says, geez, what happened? And he just looks at me and goes, I've been watching too much of the Olympics. 
I keep trying these shots that I see on TV and <laughs> I find that happens like every February, March, my curling kind of dips off like it's uh, as I go for stupider shots. <laughs> Um, well, Elise Gushu uh, came back in the bronze medal game against the USA and beat them. So Canada walks away with one bronze medal this Olympic. And then the top two teams, uh, so Eden won the gold and then Muat uh, won silver. And I think that's, I mean, I, it's expected. Eden, Muat, Gushu, USA were like the top four teams I think yeah. going into this. Um, no surprises there. The women, it was a little bit more of a of a toss-up, yeah. Except for, I don't know what's happening with the Swiss men's team, but they haven't performed well at the Olympics. They didn't perform well at the Europeans. They just have not been having a good year at all. Yeah, they're very they're very hit and miss. I don't really know what to what to say about it. I think things are very weird in Switzerland because we've talked about before how um I mean it's hard for me to say this, but Sweden is obviously doing a lot of things right. Uh, you can't argue with the talent of Niklas Adin and Anna Hasselborg. I don't approve of it because there's countless other curlers in Sweden that'll never get the chance to represent their country. But it works. You can't argue with the results. Where whereas Switzerland seems to be like kind of waffling back and forth between the Canadian system and the Swedish system. And I'm not very educated on this. This is just what I've understand. They're kind of making it up as they go, like mm -hmm. the. Uh, the whole thing about last year telling Team De Cruz, like, if you come top three or whatever it was at the Worlds, we'll send you to the Olympics. If you don't, we're going to have you play off against Team Schwaller. I think that's a very awkward position to put everybody in. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what they've done since then. But I just remember thinking, like, boy, I don't want to play for that federation, as cool as their jackets were. Yeah, I'm kind of curious what the situation is in, in Switzerland, because... They're kind of like a hybrid between the Swedish model and the Canadian model where they are like Canada most of the time in the sense that they have a couple teams and you kind of have to like win your spot. Right. But then they don't have as many teams as Canada would. So they kind of do also invest in a couple teams like a men and a women's team kind of like Sweden does where they pick their national team and they're like all the funding goes into those two teams, that women's team and that men's team. Yeah. So they're kind of like in, in between and yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's uh, in any case, they didn't play well, but it just goes back to what I was saying last week or what we've both said before many times is just that this is the nature of sports. When you have uh, 10 teams in this tournament and a good seven or eight of them have gold medal aspirations, it's going to happen that, yeah, oh yeah. A couple of big name teams are going to miss the uh, the final four. This time it was Canada and Switzerland. What can you do? And actually, I just wanted to ask you your opinion on that because um, after the gold medal game last night, I was watching a little bit of it this morning, and they as soon as it ended, uh, they went back to the the whoever was hosting the in studio broadcast and said, "Is there a curling crisis in Canada? Let's ask Bruce Rainey and Joanne Courtney and Mike Harris and." And Kelly. Uh, so Kelly, is there a curling crisis in Canada? That's a lot of C words. I think there's a curling crisis in Canada, but it hasn't has nothing to do with the elite level. It has to do with the club level. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> I love it. Like I said but, uh, last week, I mean, I think the rest, the days of Canada's dominance in curling is over. The rest of the world have 
has caught up with us. If anything, they live in Canada half the year. So they're training just like any other Canadian team would. Should Curling Canada and the Canadian Olympic Committee maybe reassess their, I don't want to say selection method, but maybe their the preparation that and training that goes into the selected team or... Yeah, but they should keep an open mind to reevaluating things. Yeah, and I'm not saying like get rid of the, the Olympic trials or anything like that, but maybe just we need to change the way we are doing certain things. Um, but the real crisis in Canada is at the curling club level, getting more people into the sport, but not from a competitive perspective, although we could beef up our competitiveness in other parts right. of the country, but just getting people to join a club and play for fun in a league like we do because curling clubs demographics are incredibly old we are by far the minority here yes yeah and curling clubs are shutting down um when they don't have the membership and uh the pandemic hasn't helped that at all if anything it probably expedited it a little bit yeah um so yeah we do have a crisis and that is just getting more people to play curling I could not agree with you more. I don't think we've ever been in such agreement after all these many years, but uh, I really agree with everything you just said. Uh, I refuse to use the word crisis to describe competitive curling in Canada. It could be better. Uh, and yeah, let's reevaluate some things. One thing that I think is a bit of a catch-22 is um, there's always talk of sh the trial should be held the year before so that whoever yeah. wins has a full year to prepare. And I like that idea in principle, in that the team would have a lot more time to prepare and know that they're the Olympic representative. However, that would mean yet another tournament for us to watch in April or May when we're completely sick of curling from a fan's point of view, which you do have to consider because fans are the ones that are going to go and watch this. Um, it plays better in late November, December in that void of nothing. I also think that's the peak time for teams as well. Like what you're going to play in April after teams have played a whole season that now starts in August. God, I don't know why, that's but it. they're exhausted come the end of the year. And then you want them to play one of the biggest, most important tournaments of their career. As a fan, I, I like the way it is now. I yeah. understand the argument of moving it back, but we have to keep in mind that I don't want to go down the Canada Cup road here, but does anybody care about the Canada Cup? I'm sorry, that's not nice. But the only thing I've ever seen that puts butts into seats in curling events are the Briar Scotties and Olympic trials. I don't think anybody goes to anything else. Unless it's in your town. Unless, and even then, I, yeah. I keep complaining when the... Um, when the Canada Cup is in, insert random Canadian town here, I make the comment, and I'm not going to specify any any actual city here because we'll just get <laughs> even more trouble, but I make the comment, what could there possibly be to do on a Saturday night in November in, insert city, you've got this event coming, you've got people from all over the world and, the, and you're not there? Like, shouldn't the whole town be there even if they're not into curling? And they're not. They're probably all off uh, at their kids' local hockey tournament, wherever that is, because hockey is big. afraid so. It'll always be second to hockey. So I agree. I don't know what the solution is, but I think just keeping an open mind, and I don't want to go in with the approach that we have a crisis on our hands. It, we, mm -hmm. Let's keep an open mind to reevaluating how we 
do some things and how we can support teams. But I really, really appreciate that you pointed out um, the actual crisis in this country. And it's that curling is on a very significant decline. To bring this full circle, that apathy that I mentioned about my students not caring about the Olympics, well, it's the same thing with younger generations in curling. There's not a lot of interest there. And I fear that um, Curling Canada is going to put a lot of effort. They have a they have a two-purpose mandate here. One is to support curling clubs, and the other is to develop the most competitive teams they can. And I feel like they're going to shift their focus towards competition at the expense of their other part of the mandate. Yeah, well, at the moment, I can't understand why they're doing it, at least for the past couple of years and this year, because can't play curling right now. Um, the timing is just horrible because every Olympic cycle... Um, brings a new wave of interest of curling. Everyone watches it on TV and they're like, I want to try it. And the clubs kind of capitalize on that opportunity and have like an open house. And it's kind of like that one opportunity where curling gets national exposure. And by national exposure, I mean to the people who don't normally watch curling in Canada. Right. And kind of like this is our opportunity to like get some new people in as members. But like our club just opened last week. This week, yeah. The whole apathy around the Olympics, people aren't watching it as much and just not there's like not that excitement surrounding just the Olympics in general and and therefore curling so we're gonna lose out on another four years of damn this COVID stuff yeah. I don't know like I'm blaming that for just uh because I've mentioned several times today how crazy I am for the Olympics and just I didn't really get into it this year and I know there's many things and it was hard and work is busy and we're all busy but I just did not find myself enjoying it the way I normally do. However, I just want to say this. One thing I realized way too late in the week is that I spend my whole life watching curling. Like how much curling do we, how many games have we seen in our lifetime? An insane amount. And it made me think, you know what? I'm going to start watching the other sports. And I realized this only too late, like maybe <laughs> Thursday or Friday of the last two weeks of the Olympics. And so, but I have to admit, like when I switched over to um, bobsled, I used to love to watch bobsled. I always watched it. I I really enjoy watching it. I have to be honest. I want to try it. I was talking with uh, our skip uh, on our Tuesday night team the other day, and we we were like, I want to try this. If I can guarantee to not die. I think I learned this a couple Olympics ago, but bobsled's not a sport that you just decide to play. No, you have to live in Calgary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's actually, they go and poach poach athletes so if you look at like a lot of the bobsled athletes they're all ex-athletes from a different sport right like they're ex-football players it, right? it, there's no kid who's like hey mom i want to be a bobsledder and there's like the junior circuit no it's usually ex-athlete because you need a certain body you need a certain Type. physique apparently and the other thing i learned is that those sleds are like thirty thousand dollars or something yeah I don't know if that's actually true, but they're, well, they're expensive. So you, you got to borrow them. I guess that's what. Can you lend us the sleigh when you're done? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but the other thing I have to admit, um, another sport I stumbled across. I don't even know what it's called, but I'm going to describe it. Maybe you can help me here. So there's somebody skiing down this mountain backwards. She goes up this jump, lands on a rail, like slides across the rail, then lands again, slides across another rail, then does another jump and goes, I'm going to guess like 15 meters into the air, flipping all over the place, lands perfectly, all of this backwards. 
you haven't seen that. Okay, I've got to no. send you a YouTube video of this after. It, it's it made me think people are right. Curling sucks. <laughs> Our sport is boring compared to these things. Well, it's also so long. You got I like... suppose. Yeah, this was pretty quick. So ends the Olympics, Kelly. Um even despite our, I guess, a little bit of negativity here, I still did enjoy it. I'm kind of sad that it's over. Uh, next week, we'll shift our focus to the briar. But before we go, uh, we can't go without talking about fashion, right? Right. One of the things that you and I were talking about uh, with the Summer Olympics that you did not watch was, um, <laughs> remember the Canadian outfits? Uh, not ju- not for curling here, just the general uh, oh, the outfits jeans? that all the athletes wore. And yeah, the, the jeans, the Canadian tuxedo. That they had for the Tokyo Olympics. Uh, so they had jeans. They had a jean jacket. I kind of thought it was Tacky. Kelly's giving me this look right now of I'm trying to defend it. And it looks like she's going to kill me. <laughs> I know you were not a fan. And we actually even we used our Instagram account to like tweet out, or not tweet, but to post our displeasure. Right. I seem yeah. to remember. Yeah. So I have to ask you, um, we've since changed uh, suppliers. Now Lululemon is outfitting all the athletes for this year's Olympics. What did you think, if you even saw? I saw bits of it. I, I didn't hate it. I liked it. A lot of red. <laughs> okay. that's uh, I'm disappointed in your answer. <laughs> I, I'm going to be more harsh than you. Uh, okay. I did not like the look of a lot of the things. Uh, for instance, when, to quote my mom, but I kind of agreed with her, when Brad Gushu was given his bronze medal and the team were there in their Lululemon outfits, my mom pointed out, they look like they're in pajamas. Oh, I like them. I kind of agree really? with her, not you. I think they look pajama-like. I they don't. They look okay, but no. I'm disappointed. This part you will agree with. I did a little bit of research today, which is very unusual. I don't put any effort into this, but let's say, actually, I'm going to put your money where your mouth is here, Kelly. If you're defending it, if you were to go out and buy this merchandise, I did a little estimation of how much it's going to cost you. I'll tell you, I actually did the, the research. Okay, so the first thing you got to get is, well, you got to have sweatpants. Right. Okay, those red uh, sweatpants. You well, they're not actually your... sweatpants. They're more like, they're okay, joggers. They're, yeah, like they're, yes, I'll be fair. Sweatpants isn't a, a fair thing to call them. Although, no, actually we are. I'm cheaping out and you're, you're going to get the cheaper pants here. Okay? okay. That are $138. Well, yeah, Lululemon. Uh, I expect that, yeah. So you're going to get it. We'll get a t-shirt as well. Um, let's see. You got to have a sweater, right? It's going to be cold. Right. You need the jacket, like, cause you're going to be parading into the stadium outdoors. So you need the whole winter jacket. Um, oh, socks. You got to have socks. And last but not least, you need a hat and mitts. Oh, and we're still in a pandemic. So you, you need a mask as well. Right. So if you buy all of that Olympic merchandise, including the official Lululemon Olympic mask. Oh, and do you want a scrunchie? It's only $8. Sure. I need, I need a scrunchie. The team a scrunchie was the cheapest thing on the... Uh, your total bill comes to $1,036. Wow. Now, is that pre or post tax? <laughs> before tax. Before tax. Before tax, before shipping. Okay, at that price, I hope you get you qualify for free shipping. I know I would. I'd like to think so because that's insane, and that's not for both of us. That's just for you, like or one person. Uh, The jacket itself is over is four hundred and fifty dollars, and it's so plain. Yeah, but I bet you the quality is really good, though. I know. I I bet it is. Honestly, if you were to just not buy Olympic, like if you were to buy all that a Lululemon. That's not even Olympic merch. You will, your bill will still come up to about a thousand dollars. I know, like I know, it's more it's more expensive than HBC. However, right. 
and I, I can't comment. I've not shopped at Lululemon very often in my life. Actually, never. Uh, but I have read that it is getting a lot of flack. Like just the mittens, for instance. How good can the mittens be? There, we've all got those Team Canada mittens. Those are sixty-eight dollars. Ooh. And like, I'm sorry. And like a toque as well. Mm. Yeah, the toque was what? The hat was $48. I'm sorry, Ooh. there's no toque in Canada that's worth $48. Right. And especially considering it's red and has C-A-N on it. I mean, you could get a knockoff at Walmart for $5. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. But like the pants at $130, that seems reasonable for Lululemon. The jacket at $400 also seems reasonable. The t-shirt, it's what, like another $90, bucks, 80 90 Oh, but bucks. it's so plain. It's just I I'm going for the cheaper T-shirt here, Kels. I, yeah. Like, there was a red one with the fancy motif. Like this was just a plain white T-shirt with a little maple leaf in the in the corner. Seventy eight dollars. Yeah, but that's also like the standard rate for Lululemon. So that's why it's not like it has nothing to do with the design. It's just that okay, seventy dollars is a little for a T-shirt. A Lululemon T-shirt would be more like forty to fifty. Yet another sponsorship opportunity <laughs> down the drain here. I've bought in some stuff at Lululemon. Yeah, it's more expensive than going to the Bay or other like run-of-the-mill um, sports equipment stores, but like it's good quality. Like yeah, I, bought, I, I totally yeah. understand so, that. So, yeah. but yeah, it's expensive. And on but this the is final, excessive. Yeah, and a final note here: uh, I pulled up the picture of the men's sh- um, accepting their bronze medal, and yeah, sorry, I disagree with your, you and your mom. I I really like it. They look like onesies to me. Yeah. Okay. Granted, <laughs> See, it's like the same this? color, but it's still everything I wish Dynasty would do because <laughs> it's just there's design elements, but it's all muted. So yeah, I, I suppose you're right. But no, uh, it's glad glad that we got our weekly fashion talk in and. Oh boy, I can't wait to see what the what they unveil for the bride. Oh, see if so we get another excited. rant from you this year. So, I guess that's it for this time. And uh, join us next week. We'll break down all the uh, Briar teams. Bye. Thank you.